Welcome to the Becoming More Significant podcast. And this is all about helping you to become more visible, more credible, and ultimately more profitable by becoming more significant. And you have a smorgasbord of offerings to tap into. So over 50 wonderful podcast conversations with incredibly inspiring guests, each of whom are being truly significant in the world. And they're sharing wisdom and insights that helps them to continually have an ongoing impact in the world by being ever more significant. Then I have 10 Wisdom and Insights episodes where I have captured the golden nuggets from those conversations. And in each Wisdom and Insights episode, I share from either five or six episodes, the key learnings, the insights, and the practical actions that we can all take right now to become more significant in the world. And then my third offering is some snapshots of the learning that I have been doing over the last few years. I am a learning junkie. I'm constantly keyed into audiobooks, to podcasts, to TED Talks, to online courses, to mentoring. And I'm learning so much all the time that I'm sharing with my clients. And so I want to do that through the podcast platform as well. So I will be putting together very short, probably 15, 20 minute sessions on key learnings and again, key actions that can help us all to become more focused, tap into more of our potential and make a real and lasting difference in the world. So lots to choose from. And thank you so many of you for supporting the podcast over the last couple of years. It's been great to have you on board. And long may you continue to tap into the wisdom and gems of the Becoming More Significant podcast. Wherever you are today, I hope you're shining brightly. Have a great day. So today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Nicola Dawson to the Becoming More Significant podcast. Welcome, Nicola. Oh, thank you. Glad to be with you today. Great. Now, Nicola, for the benefit of our audience, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you're doing today and, and just help us to get to know you a little bit at the start of this interview. Well, I'm a 41-year-old, I can't believe I'm saying that number, um, mum of two, work full-time. Um, what, what am I? Well, as I said, mum of two. So currently, I'm a homeschool teacher trying to juggle homeschooling whilst doing the meetings um, with, for ScotRail. I work as legal compliance. Spare time, um, I am an ultra runner, triathlon coach, just love to get outdoors and just see what challenges there are for me. So I can split my time between work, running activities, and then the good old job of being mum. Wow. I don't expect there's much spare time after that lot, is there? No, not at all. <laughs> so what took you, um, where, where did you start your career, Nicola? Because you've not always been doing this role. What, what were you doing before you entered ScotRail? Um, 
well, way back in the day, I went to university, studied law, good old going to be a lawyer, but not for me. I'm not someone who, you'll probably gather, likes to sit still. You could never see me sitting behind a desk. But I did love law. I loved the enforcement side of things. So I ended up joining the police. 14 years um, within there, working the usual beat cop into domestic abuse, lots of different strategic roles, and a lot of work within the intelligence side of things. So after 14 years, I thought, actually... It just wasn't working, career, family, etc. And I thought, well, what's my background? What can I fall back on? And ended up making making the leap, which was quite strange actually, into the real world. Like, what is the real world out there? And yeah, I'm now with ScotRail, I've been here nearly well four and a half years now, working within their kind of legal franchise compliance side of things. Okay, and what does that what does that entail? Legal franchise compliance. A lot of that is actually the day liaison with Transport Scotland. So they manage our franchise contract. So it's making sure that we're complying with the terms of that contract and any engagement they need both within the business and then with Transport Scotland. Some of that kind of like conduit between the two of them. Right. OK. And what's what's do you love about your job? You know, what is it that you look forward to in what you do? It's seeing lots of different people. You know, mm. I'm speaking to the whole business, so I get to know what's going on in the business. I get to meet different areas, see what they're doing, get out and about in the business. And then the same from the, the Transport Scotland side, so you get to kind of put your views across to them and also kind of liaise with them from that, that legal compliance side. I just like making sure that people are doing what they should be doing. <laughs> that must have been a bit of a challenge when you were in the police. I mean, how did that impact on you as a, as a person and a character particularly things like you know being involved in 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 abuse that must have been quite a tough call uh, for a woman on the beat how did how did you deal with that what did you learn about yourself I think very much you learn you have to there's two sides when I went into the office I put that uniform on I put my body armor on you know mm. I'm the police officer I go and deal with that but when I take it off then I have to leave that at work and behind me but there's only so much you can leave at work. These, they do sit with you and they do, there's still now times I can think back of incidents probably 17, 18 years ago that still, you know, they're still there inside and you still, mm. you, you're like, oh, I wish I knew what happened or oh, I hope that family's done better. Um, there's a lot of things that do still just remain with you. But you've just got to work your way and have your own way of coping. And unfortunately, well, the police being the police, it's actually... There's a sense of humour and it's a very a camaraderie, a very tight um, kind of community within the police, no matter where mm. you are in the world, that stick together and they have that resilience. And I suppose lucky for me, my husband's also a police officer. Wow. So you can still have someone to talk to when you came home after a bad day. Yes, yes. And it means you get much support in the police force for those really traumatic times when, when you're faced with, oh, it must be just some un, unforgettable things as you say it still flashes upon you now you know what what kind of support do you get because you must have been quite young when you were in the police force yeah I joined at 21 wow. I was I, I was I grew up in the very should I say middle class house just hadn't really seen it I was shocked and they just laugh at me because they're like they're like I was like people live like this you know life of grime what you see TV is actually houses you do wipe your feet on the way out and the way people speak but if you grow up quickly with that, 
suppose back a long time ago when I was that that young new cop, there wasn't the supports that you can now see. There's a lot more support nowadays for maybe on the mental health side, the PTSD, um, supporting the colleagues afterwards. But majority of times, I suppose you get used to it. You're like, it's just another assault or just because that's what you deal with day in, day out. You do deal with that blocker. But the good thing is you're working with your colleagues a lot. You're in the car with them for a long time. So Mm. it does allow that time where you can actually talk through the incidents or whatever's happened. It could be Mm. days or weeks or even years when it goes back to court, you can still, it's still playing there and you can have those discussions. And it's the main mm. thing is it's good to talk about these things and just, and just discuss it. Absolutely. You must build a very strong character though. You'd have to, wouldn't you? Cause you couldn't be crumbling at every instance. You, you, you must sort of um, be able to be there, but actually then detach yourself from it when you're at home, because if you're at home worrying about it all the time, you drive yourself nuts. Yeah, and that's the thing. It can it it can eat you up if you're not if 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 you're not not strong so much. But you need to be able to real realize when you're not coping, and getting that support and making sure you are able to switch off um, if you can, and hoping that you've got the support behind you through the occupational health and your management that can act, can provide that to you. Yes. Yes. And, you know, within your role now in ScotRail, is there is there support there for people who are suffering from mental health, from trauma um, and even right now for people that are really suffering with the isolation and COVID? You know, do they supply uh, people, counsellors or help for people to get through these tough times? I've seen a significant amount of um, information being sent out to people. Even today um, is is it Blue Monday, which is... um, the worst day of the year when people are actually really feeling it okay. so again they've had you know the information they're encouraging people to talk they've got helplines there's so much support um, you can get counseling they really do um, encourage you just to, to speak to each other mm. and wow. the support is there for everyone at this time that is really really good to hear because you know as this as this period in the pandemic stretches out people are more, finding it more and more difficult because of that lack of contact, lack of isolation, et cetera. And do you think that this will change the way you work at ScotRail, the pandemic, people working from home? Do you think that's going to be something that becomes much more prevalent going forward? I think it definitely will. Not just from ScotRail, I think just globally in all companies, it's always been very much viewed as that working from home, you're skiving, you can't Mm -hmm. do this, flexible working, what's that all about? Mm -hmm. But actually now people have shown that it works. And for some areas, actually can work so much better. So why would you want to go back to back in the office um, where you can actually keep your staff at home who can be just as effective, if not more? Um, then why go back? I, for me personally, just as, you know, as a mum and working from home, I mean, a couple of days at home is actually really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I, I structure my day slightly differently. I get up early. I'm early anyway, just because the youngest likes to get me up. But I'll quite often log on at like half six or seven in the morning. I can get a good couple of hours of work done mm. before I even need to think about, even if it is just, let's go back to the days we remember when they kind of went to school. Yes. Then I could then just take them to school. I'll log off, get the school yeah. bre- get breakfast done, get them out to school. Same work during the day, then log off for maybe an hour, get them home from school. And then log back on once they're once they're sorted with their homework, their snacks, everything. 
the day's done and it's just it works for me that's just my way and the hours are done and no one's ever complained and and if it works for the person and there's that flexibility then you're going to put more in of course yes yes and you're not wasting time commuting either which can be huge you know for some people it's like three hours a day commuting which not only drains your energy it takes up valuable time so yeah and and what have you learned about yourself during lockdown? Because it's, it's challenging, this complete change. You know, when, when we first went into it in March, we thought maybe a couple of months. Nobody knew that almost a year later, thank goodness, we'd still be in this situation. So what have you learned about your resilience in, in, in surviving through these times? I think you, you have to think that only, you can only focus on what you can influence, not what you can't mm-hmm. influence. We can't influence lockdown so much apart from just obeying the rules but what can you do so um for me well what loads of my races for me I'm as I said I do a lot of sport my races um we're all getting cancelled you can imagine you're like another one gone another one mm. gone another one gone there's nothing I could do but I was getting oh my goodness so down about what am I going to do what have I got to focus on I've mm. not got anything so what I ended up doing is like for that, I um, run the work of some um, running group. So I was like, right, well, let's see what's up. I'll be challenged for three months. Give us something to focus on as a group because we're all pretty kind of lost in this. So I set them the challenge of um, running Scotland's railway twice. Now, if I get this right, it's over, I think it's over 5,300 kilometres. Now we date people on the team and I gave them 13 weeks, April, May and June. Uh, and every day they had to get, well, every week they had to give away their totals of they could either run it or cycle. Um, so I was, there was checking it and there was a bit of you know, competition as well as who could get the most each week. Some people maybe only did 25 kilometres, but that was great. It was getting them out. Mm. Others like me, I cover a lot more distance. I did a lot more and we did it for charity. So every week we were putting up on our weekly whistle staff um, bulletin where we got to. We'd a wee map of, um, of the network so you could actually see how far everyone had travelled, the money we'd raised, and it kept the group together, really encouraging um, everyone to get going with it. And we raised over £1,000 and we, did it, we actually completed it in 12 weeks. So wow. it was great, it was focused, it was just something different. Amazing. What a great idea. And what took you into this, uh, you know, triathlon and, and, you know, all these uh, sports that you do? What what made you take those up? Have you always been sporty? Yeah, I have always been one of those people that was out active doing things. Um, Tennis was actually my main sport. Um, I've always done, always competed until unfortunately, and I was qualified as a tennis coach back when I was at university and did it um, just more as a hobby at the weekends because I love teaching younger children to mm. um, tennis but unfortunately I had a bad accident coming up 20 months now which basically changed everything couldn't even hold a racket so that kind of the coaching I couldn't play you know I was captain everything just went like <laughs> what I knew of my sporting world ended that day um, but running something I've always done I just I love getting out running it's just it's me time it's my yeah. time for me to clear my head get out in the countryside if it's going in the trails I just love the trails explore the country the muddier the wetter the better just and seeing what's around you and exploring um but I'd always done a bit well I cycled as well swimming I don't I'm useless 
I can swim. It's not saying I can't swim. I was a lifeguard for a while. But (laughs) give me like a pull and say, do front crawl, no chance. And having a daughter that is a swimmer who just completely says, mummy can't swim, you're rubbish at this. (laughs) Right, okay then. Um, I I joined the triathlon club just to basically get better at it. Um, And then after the accident, I was like, right, what am I going to do now? I can't coach. Um, I do take running groups anyway. How can I retrain? And at that point, I thought, actually, I can become a triathlon coach. My qualifications transfer. I can do the course. Why not? And I can then get involved in the club and still coaching, especially the juniors that I love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I did. Brilliant. Fantastic. You must get a great buzz out of seeing them come on and develop and progress and, and you know, increase their speeds and, and the joy they get out of it. That must be a great buzz for you. It's amazing. And that's why I love doing the children so much because you can see them. You can have, oh, I'm a big kid, kid at heart myself, but I love playing the games, getting them involved. And even through lockdown, I ended up doing, I can't believe it, must have felt like about 20 weeks of Zoom classes every week and having family fun days and just trying to get them involved. And every week I was like, oh no, what's my new challenge I'm going to come up with? <laughs> what can we get them to find, do, run, cycle? But it's just great seeing them coming on and just developing that way. Wow. And, you know, that's what being significant is all about. You know, some people, when I say, you know, how are you being significant? They say, oh, I don't want to be significant. And they think it's about standing out for the sake of standing out. But, you know, I would say to them, well, becoming more significant is about, you know, really knowing what value you've got to offer and and using your unique value to help others. And it's about impacting on the people that you live with, you work with, you interact with and inspiring and motivating them to step up. And when you're being significant, significant and being the best version of yourself then you inspire others to do the same and you're certainly doing that Nicola and I know that one of the things that you do is you volunteer as a children's panel member to support and protect vulnerable children so can you tell us a little bit about that work because that must be quite harrowing as well. Yeah the children's panel is something I've always really been interested in Um, obviously through the police career it was always child protection even at university my master's dissertation was in relation to child protection but I could never join the panel as a police officer just through conflict of interest so when I left um, and I saw the advert for recruitment I was like well what's stopping me Mm. doing it at this time I have got knowledge I've got experience Um, work were supportive they will offer they offer me time away to do this. It's only I, just one afternoon a month that I take for it. And it's knowing that, you know, the decisions that we make as a panel member, the legal decisions and the protecting the well-being um, and safeguarding of these young children, which they've not got anyone else doing this. So we need to be there supporting the, the agencies that are involved to make sure these children are getting the best future. Mm. And how is how has lockdown impacted on your work with that? Has it made it more difficult, more challenging? It's changed it because usually you would always meet the families. It would be a, it would be a hearing, so it'd be in a meeting room. Mm. You can see them, but like everything else, it's adaption and it's gone online and virtual. So yeah. it's actually the usual technology blips, but actually it's been working. We've managed mm. it, mm. and everyone's been getting involved. And you know, families don't have. Um, the computers, I know there's ways in which the like social work, etc., will, will help support them. And again, some if they can, then we'll have face to face. But that's very much do what you can do with the, the restrictions that we have. 
So it sounds like you have an incredibly full, demanding life all the time. Do you ever have downtime? Do you ever have quiet time or is it all, all go, all go, all go all the time? It depends. And I do have downtime. It's usually actually after a race when my body's saying no, but I do get, I am bad. I do have itchy feet that I will sit there and I remember, you know, you used to laugh at me. I'd be sitting in the flat, like, like shaking and I'm like, you need to go run. You've got, you've got energy. You need to go and burn it off. It's like, let me out in the morning, burn it off. And then no, I will, I will sit and calm down. And we actually have a little holiday place, just a wee little flat over in Millport. It's just an island oh, yeah. off the west coast of Scotland. Yes. But it's like it's never changed in hundreds of years. It's the same as it was when I was little and people cycle around the island. And it's an amazing place. But you get, and it's, I can do door to door in an hour to door an hour. But you get off that ferry and you're like, and relax. Yes. And you've yes. not got everything at home, all those things that you're juggling with you. And the view from my living window is the sea. Yes. And yes. that's my place. Just sit, especially in the summer, glass of wine, just sit and you're like, and relax. Lovely. It is. It's like stepping back in time going to Millport, isn't it? It hasn't yeah. changed. Because I used to go there as a kid and that's quite a long time ago. And I went last year, uh, I must have been the year before actually, because we were in lockdown last year, the year before with my husband. And I just said, I cannot believe this has not changed in 50 years. It's like exactly the same. (laughs) But it is that feeling of peace and calm and the sea and just being in nature. It's just wonderful. So I, I can totally get that. So what's next for you then, Nicola? What have you got any plans for the future? Where do you how do you see your life opening up? I think a lot of the things I plan to do are actually more kind of challenges that I have. So usual personal challenges I set myself, um, like race-wise, things I want to train for, what things I want to achieve. Because to me, I love to learn and develop. So mm-hmm. my race is unfortunately two years ago, that whole season got wiped out after my accident. Last year, COVID hit. So I'm like, right, what, this, this year, maybe? <laughs> so again, it's like the calendar's all planned of things that I want to do and I want to achieve. But there are other ones that I want to, to learn about and things like I'm actually doing just online, doing my personal training qualifications. Now, it's not for a chain, massive change in career it, um, or anything like that, but it's more just for me, I can build the knowledge that I already have, but actually officially. Mm. And then the amount of times people come to me, can you train me? I'm like, well, you can train with me, but I actually can't, like for friends and help them. So it means once I've done this, I can officially help them. And I would do the same for running and get my running coaches because people are always asking me, can you write training plans? You, you do all these runs, you do all these races. You've got a lot of knowledge. And again, it's, I'm not qualified. Mm. So it's trying to get that qualification so I can help people with that side of things brilliant so people are obviously drawn to you because you do it so well why is that why are they so drawn to you I think they can see it I practice what I preach it's experience it's having someone that's experienced and knowledgeable on just how you how you share what you do um for example like this year I well last year I ended up setting up my own trail running group and it's just something that I previously led a lot of trail runs with another organization but unfortunately they decided with lockdown they weren't going to going to continue and I was like well I turn up and run the runs the groups anyway so I'll just do it myself Mm. 
worked out how to do technology and set up a website and set up some ticketing thing and set up an Instagram page. I don't even know what that was at the time. I set up a Facebook page and I share now all the pictures of my runs. Just try to go, well, look, this is me. You know, any words of wisdom. I met people that comment back going, oh, having seen your runs, you know, I'm now encouraged to go and run with a head torch. Having seen that, I, I love seeing your runs. I'm now going to, as one of my friends calls, do a Nikki. I'm like, what is that doing a Nikki? She's like, well, when you see a trail that you don't know where it is, you just follow it anyway and see where you end up. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's what I do. And it's just encouraging people and going, well, look, you can do it. I'm just a mum. I'm just, you see me all the time. You see what I'm training. You see what I achieve. So they just, you know, well, if you can do it, why can't I? Amazing. And that's just leading by example, which is so inspiring. Where did this can-do attitude come from, Nick? Because it's very strong through everything that we've talked about. It says, I can do this. I, even if you don't know, even if you're not particularly good at technology, you set up a web page and you do Instagram and all the rest of it. Where does that come from? I think I've just always had that drive of, you know, why can't you do things? You know, I always hate when people say, I can't do something because... I'm like, well, what, but what's holding you back? Is it, is it time? Is it your skills? Is it qualifications? Is it simply you don't want to? Um, I'm like, well, don't complain about things you can't do unless you're willing to change it, unless it's obviously you, sometimes you do have a reason mm. um, for it. So I've always just, you know, well, I can just do what I want to do. I think I had to learn early on about how to just look after myself in life. And that's the way I just, everything is supposed to, well, don't get upset. You can't change the past. It's happened. Just yeah. focus on the future and move on. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I mean, so many people dwell in the past and regret the past and waste so much time beating themselves up over either things they've done or things they haven't done. And I just say, well, it's done. It's past. You can't do anything about it. And it's so important just to learn from it and then to move on. Um, Nick, can people see you? Are there any videos of you running and your trail runs? How could they find out more? How could they see you in action? Is it on your website? The, the best place to look is actually on the Facebook page, which is Epic Trail Running. Um, as I said, the technology isn't the best for the website. I'm, I'm getting there with it. But Epic Trail Running on Facebook is where I post most of them. So you'll see the video. Well, actually, I've been a video this weekend of me running through what felt like an ice bath. Um, climbing walls usually covered in mud some nightmares happen to me but just get to get up and and go with it so all of the, the fun things that I do are usually posted on that page okay so that's epic trail running but I will be posting uh, the links to that in in the in the show notes um so um one last thing is there any lingering thought you'd like to leave with the audience before we draw draw our conversation to a close I think there's one that actually is quite pertinent to me. Um, unfortunately, I lost a close running person that I know last week. And I was looking at on Facebook about all the wonderful things that were written about him. And someone actually, it's a, it a from a PowerPoint that he'd been involved in a few years ago. And I actually said, dream big, set goals and take action. So I said, just dream big. What do you want to do? How are you going to do it? And just put that plan down. And it will start small with whatever you're going to do. But start with small, those baby steps will lead to the top of the mountain and you can do anything you want to do. <laughs> 